Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Move Forward Anyway podcast, featuring dream-accelerating inspiration. I'm Jeff Meyer, your host, author, entrepreneur, and coach. My goal with this podcast is to help you identify and clarify your own dream by taking wisdom from others' successes and challenges. If you're looking to take action on your dream, to make a difference doing something you love, but your fears are holding you back, then this podcast is for you. If you're interested in finding additional support, you can also check out my Dream Accelerator coaching program designed to help realize your full potential and reshape your future. As always, you can learn more about my Dream Accelerator program at jeffmeyer.org. Using my Dream Accelerating formula, heart-centered entrepreneurs can focus on their dream, name their fears, change their mindset, define their next, and move forward anyway. Hey, welcome back, all of you successful fellow dreamers, to another episode of my Move Forward Anyway podcast. I am really excited today to be talking to another Minnesotan uh, from the great uh, Twin Cities area, Sean Morrison. Thank you so much uh, for joining us today. Why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about the organization you lead. Uh, maybe a little bit about you personally, just to get us just to get us rolling today. I'd love to. Uh, thank you, Jeff, for having me on the show today. And um, we like to say Minnesotan about this time of year. Oh yeah, <laughs> not to be punny, but it's uh, it's going to be going into the cold stuff now. Um, well, first and foremost, um, I'm a, a believer in Jesus Christ. Uh, my faith is the most important thing in my life. Um, became a Christian at the age of 18, and now I'm closing in at 59. So um, mm. been a, been a I'll, I'll say, person that's followed Christ for a long time. Married uh, to a wonderful woman, Jamie. Have five kids, uh, beautiful uh, children, and then they have given us a quiver full of grandkids, more than I have fingers. So we're uh, dealing with 15 so far. 15 grandkids? You're 59 years old? You have 15 yeah. grandchildren? Yeah, they're rabbits, right? So, <laughs> so <laughs> You started but, uh, early, bro. We're very blessed in that way. And so and they're all over the world. I got one daughter in Hawaii, one that's in South Carolina, son in Western Minnesota, one that's a pastor in the Madison area. And Door Creek Church is the name of the church. Oh, uh, yeah, Door Creek. The, yeah, and he's over the DeForest campus. And then I, I've got a son that's still at home, a senior in high school. And uh, I'm 6'3", and he's about 6'4", and uh, so I'm now looking up to my youngest son. So, uh, But uh, we're, we're just pleased to be able to um, be in ministry as a family together. Um, uh, several members of my family are a part of what we're doing with Good in the Hood, which is short for Good in the Neighborhood. I want to mention that um, because we were going to be Good in the Neighborhood, but Mr. Rogers had that, so we went with Good oh. in the Hood. And so uh, we always use the apostrophe before the H in Hood so that it's clear we're not implying ghetto. We're really just talking about community. And uh, Good in the Hood really formed in 2003. I was serving as the evangelism director for a local missionary training college at the time called Bethany College of Missions. And now they've called, it's been renamed uh, Bethany Global University. But the goal was to send missionaries all over the world. And my job was to train them locally. And so we needed to go into the city where it was most cross-cultural, provide evangelism opportunities, but I had you know, a lot of different things, including um, the schedule for some of the students was really unique, and I had to navigate around that. They had different skill sets, different experiences. So we used a kindness-based model where we brought intentional kindness. Uh, Romans chapter 2, verse 4 was kind of the key verse there, which says the loving kindness of God leads to repentance. It's mm. a reconciling agent. And so 
we practiced what we call low tension evangelism and uh, God began just opening up doors. And, uh, and so, you know, fast forward to today and uh, we're just seeing great things happen. We're excited to be a part of what God's doing in the twin cities and beyond. So your, your tagline, um, intentional kindness, there's another word I'm drawing inspiring. a blank. Inspiring, inspiring, intentional kindness, yeah. that, that verb word, the verb is very go. important. Inspiring, intentional kindness. So tell me a little bit about the genesis of this dream that launched into good in the neighborhood or good in the hood. Yeah. Yeah. Well, of course, as I mentioned, we had this, you know, I'll say great potential in all of these students and it was a residential, it's a residential school. So at that time we had about 90 students every year that would come to the campus the first two years they were on campus, the third year they would go overseas and do an internship, and then the fourth year they'd come back. So I had all this potential, but their schedule was all over the place. They were gone weekends. I, I had a couple hours on an evening, basically, once a week. And how to mobilize that. How to, And then, of course, in Minnesota, in the evening during the winter months, mm. it's dark. So how do you do that you know, effectively and really give training without just you know, having them go and become, a, you know, nothing wrong with being a Sunday school teacher, for a church, but we wanted them to really impact the neighborhood of the unbelieving church, you know, world. And so we looked at it and, and a couple passages of scripture really struck me during that time as I went away on a prayer retreat um, over us, you know, it was kind of a successive months where I would go away for four or five days and just listen to the Lord, meditate on scripture, began asking him how he wanted me to, you know, you know, optimize this. And, you know, several passages hit me, but one was where in John chapter 21, Jesus um, saw the disciples fishing all night. And he said, have you caught anything? And they'd caught nothing. Mm. And he said, throw your nets on the other side. Um, and then they caught more than they could hold. And he never had them move the boat, but he did have them obey him and just cast the net on the other side. And I began realizing a couple of things. One, we were called to cast a net to cast a net on behalf of the church, to work cooperatively with the church, to, to build trust-based relationships with the unbelieving community. And then the other thing was to create platforms that were kind of our proverbial net. What I mean by that is so many do fishing pole evangelism one-to-one, -one, and that's vital, that's very important, but we had a capacity to create a net to capture a community. And so we began forming teams of 10 students, two fresh or two uh, senior students, We'd had a little bit of experience with eight freshmen. They they had a vision that they were given, and that was uh, to adopt a city block. And they had to resource it. They had to get to know the residents. They couldn't do just for them. They had to do with the residents. So they had to build relationships. And they had to learn how to fund and to resource their ministry. And so all of that happened, and we adopted 10 blocks and became kind of the block blessing time, or the block blessing was what we called it. Well, that was just the genesis. That was kind of the strategy. That was around 2000. Fast forward. Um, things kept growing and happening really well, and uh, eventually we formed it into a, a nonprofit ministry because it seemed like the strategy was one aspect, but we had more capacity and more opportunities to do additional things with local churches, not just with a Bible college. So it grew and uh, and became uh, good in the hood or good in the neighborhood in 2003 formally. Wow, that's amazing. So you were you were on staff at Bethany. Yep. You were, you were getting a full-time salary. Correct. Yeah. And there came a time when you were thinking about this nonprofit mm -hmm. and leading it. And I'm sure 
talk. Well, I'm not going to say I'm sure. Um, share with the audience what kind of feelings and emotions were going through your body and your wife, Jamie, and your family, young family at that point, uh, kids growing up yeah. of this new venture that had no guarantee yeah. of being able to work. Uh, it was risky, right? It was a risky moment. Well, there the so is. What, what kind of things were you feeling? Well, several things, of course. Um, when we first started it, I had it was just literally a strategy. I didn't know God was calling it to be more than that. And then I was on um, part of a group from Bethany that was starting another urban ministry called Bethany Urban Development. So, um, not that we were, you know, there was not a competition or anything, but there was two things happening simultaneously, and I was part of both. And so it was, you know, it, and one had the, you know, of course, Bethany that was their, you know, urban ministry, and it was a it's a great ministry. But God was also working in my spirit to do some additional things that would come about maybe a little bit more to fruition and maturity later. So I was more running it as a strategy than as an organization, almost like a sole proprietorship, I'll say. Mm -hmm. But I had this vision and it, and it was going to have to be put on, I'll say, temporary, not complete pause, but I had to really defer early on. So it was some, you know, good challenges, good disciplines, frankly. Then in about 2007, Bethany had some, you know, reorganized, they reorchestrated something, reorganized their ministry so that more time was uh, sent or spent overseas for the students. Rather than local, they were training cross-cultural missionaries. They wanted them overseas more, which meant my position wasn't going to be as necessary. So as that began, um, we began planning that out of, you know, you know that, that role into a new phase I took on operations at the college for a season, but eventually um, my calling was going to be more with good in the hood. And, and I took and began pastoring a small church, uh, Cedar Crest Free Methodist Church, really aligned with our values, really embraced good in the hood. And so from 2000, about 2007 to 2020, I was pastoring, senior pastor of Cedar Crest Free Methodist Church while I was also running good in the hood and trying not to be full time with good in the hood more, you know, hiring other people and, and trying to run it, um, you know, as I'll say with as least amount of time as possible so I could pastor, but hiring key people to help run the organization. Um, and then I'll just, just to kind of update you in 2020, I did go full time. And, uh, but it, uh, it was, uh, there was several things going on during that time. I partnered with other ministries and it became a strong partnering agency um, for a season of about four or five years, we partnered with Union Gospel Mission as well, so which is a local Twin Cities rescue mission. And there was even talk of merging. We didn't do it, but um, that's the thing about Good in the Hood was it was like a speedboat. It could turn and pivot, and it was very nimble where other organizations mm -hmm. liked what we were doing, but they were maybe bigger ships, and it was harder for them to do some of that intricate work. And so they weren't as nimble to turn. We could do that. And so there was a real... Um, a real benefit to what we were doing. Um, the only thing you have to always be careful of, as somebody once said, is the mouse will sometimes scare the elephant. So you have to make sure the little ministry doesn't do anything that ever causes the big ministry any uh, fear or trepidation or bring them a black eye and reputation. So, and so we were always really careful there to try to um, honor the intention of our partners. And that was one of our key things is how do we, as a core value, be, be really good at partnering? so that we represent our partners well. We don't give them a black eye. Um, this has served us extremely well when it comes to working collaboratively with churches now. So um, share with me some of the emotions 
mm-hmm. that you've had along the way that would be, be under the, the umbrella of fear? Yeah. How is fear as a leader and as an entrepreneur, a kingdom entrepreneur, a global entrepreneur as yourself, what are some of those emotions that you would attach to fear that you've faced? Oh, you know, con- constantly you're feeling like, okay, do we have enough resources to do what we're called to yeah. do? Where are we going to get these? How do we um, mine these out? And then if, how do we not promise too much? You know, you, you want to do ministry, but you don't want to go in debt. You don't want to. And so you're trying to do as much as you can. Um, and I'll, I'll just give you an illustration of what actually happened. So we're doing Thanksgiving baskets one year and we had, you know, a couple thousand baskets. Well, somebody went ahead and told a local Hennepin County that we were giving them away to anybody, but we had actually only were doing it for pre-registered people. So literally, Jeff, I looked out the door when we started opening up the doors for this, and there was a football field long and wide of people coming to get baskets. And I was like, oh, my God, I began praying fishes and loaves, loaves and fishes. And, you know, by the end of the time where we were going to close up and I was like half an hour before it was still that long. And I was like, where are we going to get the resources? I don't know how we had enough other than a miracle. I just kept giving them out and there was just enough. And I remember going to my vehicle after this, just literally going, thank you, Jesus. I was, you know, you're concerned we were going to be bad in the hood. One mess Mm -hmm. up like that can give you a bad reputation in the community. And somebody had told Hennepin County that we were giving them away to anybody, walk-ups. And so they'd actually even made flyers. They were giving us flyers about what we were doing, and we had no idea. We weren't doing that. Yeah, exactly. But we're not going to turn them away. But then what do you do with the registered people? And so by the grace of God, we saw a miracle that day. And there's many others. But the fears I felt was, how do we resource this? I feel inadequate, honestly, in that area. I'm not trained in development. I'm not trained to how, how to do things at that level. I can build relationship. I've learned to build trust and that kind of thing. And so we've had to be counterintuitive to what, you know, you might say the bigger ministries do. They might say you do this fundraiser and they've got these metrics and they're all, they're great. They work for us. That's never been successful. We've always found what really works for us is, and it's not to be hyper-spiritual, but to pray, to trust God, and to walk in fear and trembling, you know, and, and I mean, when I say trust God, I always feel fear, always. But we've come up with a quote. I, I'm sure somebody else has said this. I just don't remember where, but, um, you know, it says courage is not the absence of fear. It's the willingness to overcome it. You know, and I, I where that's found, I don't remember, but that's been our thing is I constantly feel this anxiety over things, but I try to not let that move me so that I'm not driven by emotion. I try the best I can. And through prayer and encouragement from others to stay on track with what I believe is the calling and the vision of God. And there is the reason for my podcast name, Move Forward Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Um, Because I think we've been duped in the church um, space in particular to believe that somehow if we're really faithful, if we're really courageous, we lack fear. Fear is, fear has disappeared. And there is a place for fear and courage side by side. They're kissing cousins and embrace. Come on, fear. We're moving forward anyway. Come along for the ride. Absolutely. Because um, we're human, right? Well, and absolutely. And, I, you know, here's the other aspect of it. We're doing ministry to those who are struggling to make ends meet. And I'll tell you, when we feel the same thing they feel in some level, 
um, where we're struggling. How do we do it? How do we make ends meet for the ministry? We we can relate better now. And I come I come from a family. My mom and dad. There was I have seven siblings. They they divorced when I was fifteen. So my mom worked nights and she made our clothes. And we, you know, we literally you know had gardens that we had to grow to eat enough. And we always had enough. But we, uh, you know, you didn't know you know what we were going to have next week. And so I come from a little bit of bigger family with some level of, you know, how do you make ends meet? Um, but the other hand, side of that is as a ministry, we've had to be resourceful. We've never had this, you know, big, you know, resource bin that we could just draw from. It's always been a little more, okay, Lord, this is what you're calling us to do. And then we need you to provide. And that's how a lot of families have to live. You know, they have to live knowing or not, maybe not knowing where the next meal is coming from, but they have to trust God. Some of them don't believe in God, but I can tell you this, there's a lot more faith amongst those who are poor at times than those who have abundance because they they understand how personal God is when he provides. Wow. So in addition to prayer, mm-hmm. what have been the, the resources that have enabled you to move forward anyway? Yeah. Where does the encouragement come from? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, it's it's good people that believe in what you're doing and believe in you personally. Um, friends, I, I have a couple of dear friends who uh, we we as you know, three couples actually that go and they we spend time together every year, whether we go on a trip together. Um, we've been in ministry together. We've, we've uh, served as pastors together or leaders, and they understand. Each of us has got has different roles. Um, One's in business, you know, one family is more in business. One's um, does um, ministry as a pastor. And then, of course, my wife and I, we work as a nonprofit, but have pastored. And we understand which, you know, our personalities, we understand our strengths and weaknesses. And we've had a long-term relationship so that um, we can actually encourage one another, but we can also call each other out when we're too full of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that's an important thing is to have somebody you know, be able to see who you are, not reject you, but be able to, you know, say the truth to you when you need it. Sometimes it's encouraging and sometimes it's, you know, the old skin bracer commercial where they go, thanks, I needed that, you know, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That might've dated me there. Cause those dated me too, I got I just, <laughs> exactly. You get it. <laughs> but then the other piece, Jeff is partnerships. Um, Union gospel mission, um, just encouraging to us all along their, their leaders and, they would meet with me on a regular basis, and they they were invested into me um, as a person, but also as a ministry. Um, I'll never forget that. In fact, when they had to reprioritize their ministry, that we were under a contract with them, and the contract was they would give us about a hundred thousand dollars a year to do services on their behalf. They had to end that, but instead of just cutting us off, they gave us eighteen months to segue off of that, so that we were taken care of, and they walked us through it, and so. To their credit, that's an example of a ministry who knows how to partner right, take care of us. And we were in a good relationship. We had built trust. And so I'm just grateful for partners such as that or churches mm-hmm. uh, you know, who have really adopted us and said, we believe in you. Eagle Brook Church is an example. They have um, just said, we're the Woodbury campuses. We're a preferred partner of them. And they have you know, checked in with us. How are you doing? How can we support you? Um, and they do support us. They pray for us. They send us volunteers. And I used to say prayer is the least I could do. And now I say it's the most I can do. And I, you know, I try to make sure that we re- I realize how valuable that is to have prayer and intercessors 
to have those who get on board with you as volunteers, as well as the financial piece, I think those all go hand in glove. When somebody prays for you, when they volunteer, they tend to give. And I think sometimes we think we need the resources, but um, those will come when you're doing the right things. And piece of the puzzle here for me, and this has taken a long time to really get deep in me, but it's the thing I've said to myself, and I, I really believe is, God cares about the success of this ministry infinitely more than I do. And so I don't have to feel the stress and the pressure nearly. You know, I think as I've grown, I've been able to relax a little bit more than in the beginning when I felt it was all on me. And, mm. uh, and I felt like I had to do for God rather than from God. And that's a big difference. It's not just semantics. Out of that resource reservoir of the Lord, I can now do from him. I realize he has given me a commission. And a commission, we talk about the Great Commission, we think we got to do for God. It's actually a commission. And, uh, and so I've really, um, when I get away and spend time with the Lord, he helps me to drink from the deep well and not just sip from mud puddles. <laughs> wow, that's really, really good. So tell me about the vision from this point. Like, mm-hmm. paint a picture for me for the next five years, like five years out. Yeah. Um, one of the things that, I do in the dream accelerators help people take their, sometimes it's a fuzzy idea that they have and crystallize it five years out. And we actually have them go through a process. We call it the dream generator to help them really um, paint a vivid picture of a preferable future five years out. So I want you to do that for us right now. As you think about good in the hood, it's 2026 paint for me a picture of where you're going to be in 2026. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll continue to expand what we're doing, but he gave me a vision of the Joseph storehouse. So I'll just start with that. Um, And there was twofold to that. One was what Joseph did for Egypt was he provided resources for the collective community. Most of them probably were not Israelites. They were mostly Egyptians. And uh, that represents maybe a little bit more of the unbelieving world, but just the general need. You meet the felt needs of people out there, and that's through food and resources. Um, it could be holidays, shoes, socks, you know, backpacks with school supplies, so forth. The other thing he did, though, that we're aware of through Scripture is he took care of his own kinsmen. And that was that scarlet thread of redemption to make sure Israel was taken care of. And one of the areas we really want to be impactful, and we've been progressively doing this, is taking care of ministries and ministers who are really good at frontlines ministry, but not so good at raising support. So how do we give them food? How do we give pastors that have large families the diapers they need, for example, for their kids? How do we provide the backpacks of school supplies, shoes for their family, those kind of, those kind of things, so that they can stay focused on the outreach ministry and do what they're really called to do, what they're equipped to do? and not be distracted by fundraising. So that's the Joseph storehouse aspect. And the larger one that people see in our website would be the thing that Joseph did for Egypt. The one that we don't really talk a lot about or promote is that undercurrent of really reaching the kinsmen. The next thing that he's called me to do is to create a um, what we call, we'll call an underground railroad, not necessarily exactly like the historical one, but from that spirit to be able to help vulnerable people to move forward. And we won't do everything. We'll do our part. But we want to get a farm where we can house people that need a pause, maybe six months to a year. They just need a community around them. 
And they have to be a contributing member of that community, whether it's growing food and we'll have community gardens, um, maybe some animals. We'll probably have some social enterprise there. And so we're looking for property where we put a farm where we can have a, hopefully a house is already on it or some group that can come and build one for us. We would also have storage, you know, we'll say climate controlled buildings. So we could have storage there instead of paying, you know, for a big warehouse now, we could actually have it on that farm. And it would be a part of a community that lives together. There's a sense of belonging, there's healing and wholeness. And uh, and then there's social enterprise. It's what we call, and I use pictures a lot, but a greenhouse of grace. A greenhouse does three things for sure. And I'm not a green thumb necessarily, but I grew up in a farm. And a greenhouse will uh, provide a safe place for plants to grow. Now, we should do that for human lives. That's part of discipleship, a safe community. A greenhouse also promotes plant growth. We should promote uh, personal growth and development. That's discipleship. And finally, it, the greenhouse prepares plants to be transplanted into the real world successfully. That's what we should do in discipleship. So we want to be a greenhouse of grace, helping those who have been uh, maybe they're dealing with, you know, substance abuse or they've been abused and they can come to our community and be a belonging member and they can contribute. We don't want to just do for them. We want to do with them. But we believe in investing in people with an expectation there'll be a return on that investment. And that return will be what they do in the kingdom of God. I am guessing that back in 2003-ish. Mm-hmm. As you had you had a uh, um, strategy kind of mapped out and you were starting to live that strategy. I'm guessing you didn't have all of this in your head or your mind with the greenhouse of grace. I, I'm guessing that has emerged and opened up because you've been faithful to take steps forward one at a time. Yeah, Is that ab- true? A- absolutely. Um, I had a vision. My wife was from Canada. So she was, I mean, besides the prayer times I've mentioned, um, the Lord um, had her go into the courthouse. And I think we were downtown Minneapolis, probably on the sixth, eighth floor. I can't remember. It was up high. I had an overlook of the city while she was going in. And I kept, I keep teaser. I say renouncing Canada, but she was, she didn't do that. She just, (laughs) she goes, I never renounced, (laughs) but we, we joke about it. But seriously, she was swearing in to become a citizen. And that, that was, you know, around 2000. And the Lord, Jeff, just suddenly, unexpectedly, put a drop in my heart of his heart for the city. And I just didn't know what to do with it. I just started sobbing uncontrollably. And there's people around me. I should have been really self-conscious. I mean, I, I never considered myself a you know easy-to-cry person, but I was just literally just broken. I, I just I could I envisioned if Christians would work together, demonstrate God's kindness, what would the impact of that be on a community? Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily that they, of course, they'll proclaim, but it'd be done in a way that's not talking at people. It's talking with people. Um, I was really impacted by a story I read about a guy who took a church pew and he put it on a corner in a busy city street and he put up a sign that I will listen. And all he did for the next five hours is let people come and unload, the un, unburden their soul. And that was real ministry, which is what our foot care program does. And I was a chaplain for fourth and fifth steps in a secular, um, you know, AA 12-step program. And I was able to listen people to Christ, asking good questions. This is what kindness does. It creates trust. It creates goodwill. Even those who have no interest in God, whether they be, you know, atheists or whatever, love it when you're kind to them. And so it's an opens the heart thing. It builds trust or relational equity. 
And so that was what my vision was, was just Christians mobilizing to go and do kindness. And so, no, I had no idea the bigger programs and structure. And, you know, programs we use, but programs don't change people. It's really the Holy Spirit who does that. But, uh, but the programs can harness some things that allow the Holy Spirit to work in the heart. And so we use programs, but we don't expect those to be the transformational component. They kind of put you in a position to maybe be even transactional, but then the transformation happens because there's a relationship that happens. And, and, uh, and God begins saturating a person's soul and their spirit with his presence. And so we want to just put people in the presence of God and let God do what he does and be available and kind of listen and, and, and respond as, as appropriate. Um, and so did I have this vision of all the other things that are happening now or what will be in 2026? No, I, that was progressive. But Luke 16.10 says something that's always struck me. He was faithful in little will also be faithful in much. And so God promotes us as we're faithful in what he's given us. As long as we fulfill that, um, we shouldn't be looking for that next thing until we've completed the last thing. Being faithful with the little steps that are right in front of us. Yeah. And not, and not saying no to them because we're afraid or we don't know where the resources are coming from or we're doubting whether we have it. He's given it to us. We need to take that next step. And that's when he opens doors for the bigger yeah. steps. Well, and to illustrate, I mean, more recent, you know, COVID scared us all. Not, not the disease in itself, though that's scary enough. It was, you know, the obvious, okay, if churches don't meet, they don't get tithes. If they don't get tithes, then they don't give mission support. If they don't give mission support, Good and Hood doesn't get as much support, and we can't do what we do. We have to start laying off. Um, that was a scary proposition or thought. And then, again, I, I just sensed the Lord saying, no, you're supposed to fulfill your mission. What's your mission? Stay mm. mission central. You, you don't have to go in debt. Just continue doing what I've called you to do. Don't look to the right or to the left. Just stay focused on what you're supposed to do. So we kept building out new food shelves. We doubled the number of food shelves. We doubled our income. And Jeff, we, we went from 12 pop-up food shelves. We have 29 now. And, uh, and so, yeah. And so it was unexpected. I didn't have a game plan for this. I just kept having people come to us and say, hey, our local food shelf closed down. Can we get food? Can you partner with us? Or we like what you're doing. Are, is there any way we could do it in our school? And so forth. And literally, I'd get three a month, sometimes requests like that. And so we just created a plan that's simple, make it simple. And uh, we did it very cost effective. We, we made this deal. We said, we will not pay for any building space. If you want a food shelf in your building, you have to provide that for free. It's once a month or twice a month. We're not going to give uh, staff time to it. You're going to have to have volunteers to run that. We will provide the support. We will provide the infrastructure. We just created a bunch of pop-ups, and then we subsidize it with food, but we also bring other resources, the shoe program, uh, backpacks with school supplies, holidays, and so forth, winter coats. And uh, so we, we have a term we call lanyap. It's a Creole term that just means add a bonus, basically, like a baker's dozen. So every time we start a food shelf, we look for a way to bonus extra things. And uh, that becomes a resource place where people can have one-stop shop. But we can do a site for about 100 families for about $750 a month and give people weeks worth of groceries. So it's very cost-effective because we're not wasting anything. And we didn't have a lot of building ownership, so we didn't have um, a lot of expenses to worry about. And as a result, we were able to grow. Now, I would have never thought that 
I, that just, that was a happening, but I, I felt like the Lord wanted us to go on offense, not to circle the wagons, so to speak. Wow. So but I was afraid. Said, I was feeling fear. <laughs> yeah, you're feeling fear, no oh, doubt. I don't want to lay people off, and I don't am I overextending to... ourselves? And we have yeah, to exactly. lay people off, or we're gonna we're yeah. gonna be able to support the expansion. You know, well, I we don't know what this is gonna look like at the end of COVID. Whenever the end of COVID is gonna be, right? Well, yeah, and I here's the other piece that I didn't share. I had just stepped down out of the pastorate um, on January 1st of 2023 or four months before COVID. So my income dropped. So half of my salary was now, I, I was down to half salary. And then here I am expanding. And then we got COVID. And so uh, believe me, there was fear and trepidation. But I saw God be faithful. And uh, like I said, it, we doubled. And and little did I know that all of a sudden there's just things that the passage of scripture, this is going to be funny, that came to mind was when Israel was. Um, right after the the 10th plague, they they went and they were going to go and worship the Lord. And Pharaoh said, get out of here, make haste. And it said, it, it, Egypt gave them their fine linens, their silver and their gold. And I felt like the Lord was almost implying, this is going to be a season you're going to have more than enough. Don't worry. You know, don't worry. I've got you back. Boy, did he ever have our back. Wow. So what word would you want to say to a heart-centered entrepreneur who's listening to this? They have their idea. They feel called to it that this is a mission I need to be pursuing, but I'm I'm really hesitant. I'm afraid. I don't think it's going to work out. I'm not sure it's going to work out. I'm not know if I'm the guy to or lady to carry it out. Um, what would you say to that listener? Well, a couple of things that I've learned, and this is I'll take what I learned is number one, um, oh no man, nothing but to love them. Um don't go into debt unless you really clearly know God said that. I'm not saying I'm not saying it's wrong, but I take that scripture a little more literal just for myself. In that, if I'm gonna, you know, any debt has to be debt that we know we can handle. You know, we don't want to get into a situation where it's just by faith, but we don't know for sure that we could pay it back. We we don't want to steal from somebody where we can't pay them back. So I would say recognize, you know, your, your limitations of what God has called you to do. What's, what's the parameters or the perimeters of what you're supposed to do. Don't try and be bigger than you are. And don't be afraid to, don't try to be too small and have false humility. What is God saying to you? The other thing that really, for me, has been a really key prayer. And sometimes you get a prayer. It's a popcorn prayer. It's just a simple few words, but you know that this one, you feel, you sense that it's landed with, you know, with God's heart. Um, and, uh, one that's for me was this, um, Lord, I don't want to share with you what's on my heart. I want to lo- know what's on your heart, father. What is on your heart for this situation? What is it that you want to happen? And how can you enlighten me to that? You know, you've given me the mind of Christ, it says in scripture, but sometimes I'm so clouded by my own thinking and by a lot of advice. And I'm, I do believe in advice. I really do. But um, I, I also don't just run with that advice. I, I present that before the Lord again. But I want to know what's on his heart. Um, and he's called me to give that vision to the people that I'm in, you know, that God's put within my sphere of influence. So the advice I get helps to give perspective, but it's still ultimately it's my responsibility to go direct with God like Moses did. He had to deal direct with God. Israel didn't want to, and Moses had to meet face to face. And that when you're called to lead a ministry, you're actually stewarding it. You're not necessarily in charge of it. You're stewarding it, but you have to steward it well, and you're responsible for it. So you need to know what the Father is saying to you. 
And uh, but you do take advice. Um, the third thing, back to that advice thing, is I ask advice all the time, even when I think I know the answer. And the reason for that is I usually am surprised by what I didn't know. People give more than I expect, and they oftentimes get involved because they feel honored. And so um, that's probably one of the secrets that we've found is ask advice from people, um, even when you think you know the answer. Um, and it doesn't mean, again, that you have to take the advice and run 100% with it, but you but you put it in the pail of respect of, of perspective of what or that bucket of perspective, and you certainly consider it with great, you know, honoring someone means to give weight to their opinion and perspective, give a weightiness to it. Doesn't mean you have to obey everything about it, but you do have to give a sense of weightiness to what they say. Wow, that's really helpful. Wow, so thank you so much for sharing this journey with me, this brief conversation. I have a feeling there's going to be more conversations in our future. It's a joy to meet you finally. Yeah, I like And that. I'm very, very honored that you've taken the time. And I don't know, this seems kind of like I'm speaking down at you, but I'm really proud of you, man. I really, I just love what you're up to and what you've been doing and just wish you the, the greatest success and the Lord's richest blessings as you keep carrying this out. Thank you. Um, how can people find out more about what Good in the Hood is up to? Yeah, well, our website's the you know the easiest way to start. Um, we do have a Facebook page, of course, but uh, goodinthehood.org. That's goodinthehood.org, and, and you'll see us there. Um, you won't see a lot of religious language. I'll, I'll you know I put that out there because we're dealing with a lot of places that are very highly secular, and so yeah. as a result, um, we're like missionaries that go in and. And uh, the, the vision I had for this whole thing, it was a flower growing up in a crack in the sidewalk, which is why we have the flower logo. And it's beauty in unexpected places. And so likewise is God's kindness in a place of hatred and intention and despair is kindness is beauty in unexpected places. And we want to be a very subtle ministry that goes in and saturates them with the fragrance of Christ. So we, goodness and kindness, and we have, uh, you know, is what we do, but it ultimately leads to gospel opportunities. Wow, that's tremendous. And in the Twin Cities, over this last uh, 18 months to two years, has been a place where hatred and discord has been revealed, not not started, it's been there, but yeah. very revealed and very prominent. And it's so refreshing to know you're right there, yeah. extending the, the kindness of God to people. Yeah, no, it's been uh, some challenges. And it feels like the Wild West some days, you know, bullets are going and so forth. And it's, it's not like some of your bigger cities yet. But in, somebody said this to me, and I don't know if this is true, but I, I'd never thought of it this way. Minneapolis is like the new Mason-Dixon line, you know, and I, I, you know, it's interesting. I hadn't thought of that, but the tensions that we're feeling from a racial perspective. And I mean, we need to be very mindful of this, that people are seeing things from different perspectives. And how do we bring healing and wholeness and reconciliation um, it's one thing, you know, people feel like, well, we have the right to, um, there's a lot of, there's a big difference between what's right and what's righteous. And we need to be righteous in this time. We need the yeah. righteousness of God. Wow. Any last words you'd like to, to speak to our listeners today? Something maybe I didn't ask you that you want to share. Just let me give you the last word before I say goodbye. Well, thank you. And, and I, I think when a person's starting in ministry, it is very scary or even if they've been in ministry a long time, it can be uh, overwhelming at times. And, uh, you know, I think 
we we feel like at times it's all dependent on us. And uh, never forget the us that we need is Jesus. <laughs> and uh, and I, not, to, not just to play on words. I mean, we so often forget the first part of that, and that's the most important part. The Lord, um, and I, I referenced it earlier, he cares infinitely more about this ministry success than, than, uh, than we do. More important, though, than the ministry success, he cares about us as a person. He wants to bring healing and wholeness to us so that we're ministering and helping others out of fullness, not out of emptiness. So I would just encourage our, our audience, your audience, and those who are listening, never forget intimacy with God. That, that is the solution to everything we do. And then we, we can relax in ministry, and it's out of a restfulness, out of a settledness, out of a security, rather than out of this sense of we've got to please God. Um, we, what we do for him if we have that mentality, we sometimes inadvertently are implying that he is insufficient and needs us. He doesn't need our help. He, he invites us, but he doesn't need it. And so we don't have to impress him. We just have to be obedient and be faithful. Wow. Well, your words have encouraged me today as I uh, struggle as a leader to um, activate all that you're saying. I get caught up in that thinking it's all on me a lot of times. Yeah. So. I just wrote down intimacy with God. Um, I, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Yeah, well, my pleasure. And thank you so much for um, highlighting our organization and ministry. And, and may the Lord bless you and, uh, and what you're doing. You're doing great work. And, you know, vicariously, you're allowing other ministries to uh, be able to have a platform to be uh, able to be more fruitful and more successful. So thank you for this. Well, you're you're absolutely welcome. And it's a joy to hear stories and to talk to people like you, Sean. Thank you so much for, for joining us today. You have an awesome day and stay warm, okay? <laughs> I got my Columbia on. All right. <laughs> God bless you, Jeff. Peace, brother. Hey, fellow dreamer. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Head over to my website, jeffmeyer.org, for all of the show notes and links. And when you're ready to move from overthinking about your dream to actually taking action on it, consider joining the Dream Accelerator community. Our clients are getting crystal clear on their dream with our Dream Generator Vivid Description 5-Step Process. They're discovering the truth about fear and how to use it as fuel to take courageous steps in the right direction. And most importantly, they are walking a clear path forward because they have made an investment in themselves to confidently realize their dreams. The results are so inspiring. Having coaching and companions on the dream journey is crucial. Remember, fear will come, fear will stay. Move forward anyway.